Well, if you would, would you turn uh, in your uh, Bibles to Luke chapter 1? Christmas uh, through uh, the ages has been celebrated by the church uh, in preparation uh, for the Feast of Christmas. Um, this, this time uh, has uh, traditionally been called Advent, and uh, it's uh, intended to prepare our lives to celebrate the coming of Christ into the world. It's a season of anticipation as well as uh, waiting. And this season's uh, intended to cultivate our appreciation for God's actions in the past and in the present as well as in uh, the future. And to actually uh, prepare our hearts and minds so that we might receive more of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives. And so this December we'll be looking at uh, the events around the birth of Christ through the eyes of some of the principal uh, people who were involved. And I just want to encourage uh, you, whatever traditions you may have grown up with or you have, to be sure in the midst of those to carve out some time uh, to reflect and uh, uh, to meditate and, and give thanks for what God has done and is doing and uh, will uh, do. It might be that uh, you, uh, especially if you have smaller children in your home, want to use an Advent uh, calendar or perhaps a Christian Christmas devotional. There are so many out there. Some of them are free. There's a couple in the book uh, store out there to sing uh, carols. And um, uh, some of my children are using uh, Advent podcasts uh, as a way of meeting around the table and talking about the significance of Christmas. And so let's uh, open our Bibles and uh, read together. If you would, would you stand? We're reading from verse uh, 5. Father, we ask as we read that you'd be pleased to free us from all the distractions, that the things that press in on our hearts and minds, the things that bubble up, and Lord, in these moments, still our hearts, now open our ears, make us receptive to what you'd say to us this morning, for we pray in Christ's name, amen. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, uh, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer's been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept to herself, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You may take your seats. In Something by Tolstoy, Tennessee Williams tells the story of Jacob Brodsky a Russian Jew whose father owned a bookstore. Now, the elder Brodsky wanted his son to go uh, to college, but Jacob desired nothing uh, but to marry Leela, his childhood sweetheart, a French girl who was effusive and uh, vital and as ambitious as he was, contemplative and retiring. A few short months after he went to college, His father fell ill and died, and Jacob returned home, buried his father, and married his love. And the couple moved into the apartment above the bookstore, and he took over as the manager. The life of books fit him uh, perfectly, but it cramped Leela. She was more uh, adventuresome, and she found it, uh, well, she thought, 
she would find something better. And it happened the day uh, that an agent from a vaudeville company heard her beautiful singing voice, and he enticed her to tour uh, Europe. Jacob was devastated at her decision, and as they parted, he reached in his pocket and handed her a key to the front door of the bookstore. You'd better keep this, Jacob told her, because you will want it someday. Your love is not so much less than mine that you can get away from it. You'll come back sometime, and I will be waiting for you. She kissed him goodbye and left, and to escape the pain, uh, uh, Jacob withdrew into his bookstore and took to reading as someone might take to drink. He spoke little, did as little as possible. Most of the time he could be found at his large uh, desk at the rear of the shop, immersed in books while he waited for Leela to return. At Christmas time, 15 years later, after they had parted, Leela did return. But when Brodsky rose from uh, his uh, desk, which had been his place of escape all this time, he didn't recognize the love of his life. Uh, He thought she was but an ordinary customer and said, do you want a book? Well, they didn't recognize him, startled her, and Leela regained her composure and replied, I want a book, but I've forgotten the name of it. And then she told the story of childhood sweethearts, a story of a newlywed couple who lived in an apartment above a bookstore. The story of a young, ambitious uh, wife who left to seek a career, who enjoyed great success, but could never relinquish the key that her husband gave her when they parted. And as she told him the story, she thought it would bring him to himself, but his face showed no recognition. And gradually she realized that he had lost touch with his heart's desires, that he no longer knew the purpose of his waiting and his grieving. They were all that was left to him. She said, you remember, don't you? You must remember the story of Leela and Jacob. And after a long, bewildered pause, he said, well, there is something familiar about it. I think it's something by Tolstoy. Dropping the key, she fled the shop, and Brodsky returned to his desk to his reading totally unaware that the love he had waited for had come and gone. Now, we find something like that here in the Gospel of Luke. We find an old priest named Zechariah who's lost touch with his heart's desire, and he didn't recognize it when it came. The angel Gabriel is sent to an aged couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were both of priestly descent, Uh, They were careful to walk in God's ways. They were blameless before the Lord, and they had no children. Now, infertility is a curse for covenantal disobedience in the Old Testament, while children were a blessing of God for those who walked in his ways and careful to do all that he commanded. Barrenness, childlessness, and empty cradle a home missing the sounds of children playing, well, that shouldn't have been the experience of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And when Luke tells us they were childless, you see, he doesn't paint the full picture of their pain. 
of the years of trying and hoping uh, that they would have a child until the day all their hope was gone. All the years that their pleasure was overshadowed with the anxiety of whether uh, Elizabeth would become uh, pregnant. He only hints at the end when he tells us that uh, uh, Elizabeth had experienced the reproach of people. Undoubtedly, people had said very unkind things that were untrue about her and her relationship with God. She lived with that pain her whole life. It's with that background, Luke tells us that Zechariah was chosen by Lot to enter the holy place to burn incense. Now, the burning of incense was a symbolic act that spoke of prayers. The smoke of the incense uh, would rise so the prayers of God's people uh, would ascend to heaven, to God himself. And at the very moment, the angel Gabriel appears right in Zechariah's field of vision. Next to the altar of incense, Zechariah is startled. He's filled uh, with fear. He is in the presence of this powerful, supernatural being. This is God's personal representative, and this experience is beyond anything he's ever known. And uh, the angel uh, speaks, do not be afraid. The time of God's intervention has uh, come for his people. God has come to help and to rescue You see, Zechariah had prayed for a son, and now God is answering his prayer. There will be joy for Zechariah and the people of God, for his son John will play a unique role in God's plan. And we'd expect Zechariah to be crying tears of joy in this moment. But his unbelief moves him to ask, how can I be sure? He asks for a sign to prove that the words of the angel are true. And forcefully, Gabriel shoots back, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Now, the irony of this moment ought not to be uh, missed by us. The very moment Zechariah is enacting the symbol of prayer, the one that God himself instituted, while he himself is praying, as the people outside are praying, and no doubt they're praying uh, among their prayers that God would take notice that they are occupied by Rome, the humiliation uh, they're experiencing of God's people. They're asking uh, for God uh, to send the King of the Messiah to deliver them. And at this very moment, Zechariah is told that his deepest prayers uh, of his longings for a family and a son have been heard. And his response is unbelief. Zechariah can't hear that his prayers have been answered. He's lost touch with his desire, and he doesn't recognize it as being fulfilled. Now, during the months of imposed silence, Zechariah no doubt had lots of time to think. And he would recall the stories that he knew from the Old Testament. The stories of Abraham and Sarah, who at age 190 were granted their first child, Isaac, as God had promised. 
and Isaac and Rebecca, who also experienced a long period of infertility. Rebecca is so frustrated uh, that she rebukes uh, Isaac with these words, give me a child. And he says, am I God? To Manoah and his wife is given Samson. To Hannah is given Samuel. All of them experienced infertility. Their miracle children play an important part in the story of redemption. And like Zechariah, many of these were given this good news by an angel. This miracle child, John, was a sign that something new and wonderful was about to happen in God's plan. Zechariah, all his life, had handled spiritual things, but oddly, he was unchanged by them. You see, his heart had grown cold and numb because his prayers and longing for a child had gone unfulfilled. Disappointment replaced faith and hope. Hopelessness nurtured despair, and despair hardened into unbelief. And Tennessee Williams captures this progression in the story of Jacob and Leela. This is what happens in a fallen world. You know, we think when we're young that life is full of opportunities and possibilities, and then we experience disappointment and setbacks. And the path that we thought would be open to us is closed. And we adjust, but part of us dies. Disappointment becomes disillusionment. And so we hope for less, we hedge our bets, we reduce our exposure to pain and disappointment, and we grow numb uh, to our deepest and truest desires. And Zechariah is unaware of how his heart has hardened in unbelief so that he couldn't receive this good news when it was given to him. How about you? Have you arrived at the place where it's hard to believe that God could ever answer your prayers? The first Christmas is about God acting to answer the deepest longings of our hearts, the deepest meaning of all our prayers, of granting what we need. And if you're going to enter into Advent as you should, you need to get in touch with these longings. Now here's what I'm driving at. Barrenness is symbolic in the Bible for all that's wrong in the world of the curse that's come because of Adam's rebellion. And our longings, the ones that we return to again and again and again, are actually longings uh, for this barren world to become the lovely garden of God that we see in Eden. You see, Beneath our longings for a world without suffering, where it doesn't touch our family, our friends, or our own lives, uh, to be better people, uh, to have better friends, uh, better, a better family, more satisfying uh, work, a sense of greater accomplishment, uh, uh, for health and a just society. Beneath all of these is a longing for a better world. And that's what Gabriel is uh, announcing to Zechariah, that John will prepare the way uh, for the one who will undo the barrenness of the world. He's going to overcome its root cause in our human rebellion against God. 
John's name means the gift of God, and he will be great. His birth, in his birth, a new uh, day, a new age is dawning. John will prepare the people for the Lord who's coming uh, to them. And this preparation involves the turning of their hearts back to him. John uh, calls God's people, and he still calls to us uh, to return and prepare uh, for Jesus in repentance. You need to turn away from our unbelief, to turn away uh, from those things that we look to to fulfill us, to turn away from those things we use uh, to numb us. Have you turned to him? Gabriel sent to another young woman named Mary. She was probably about 15 years old. And unlike Zechariah, who lived in the capital city and was respected because he was a priest, uh, she lived in an obscure, poor hamlet. She was a nobody. She's just a poor village uh, girl. And Gabriel greets her. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And she too is afraid. She's troubled. And uh, she tries to understand what this means. And she listens. She wants to see, be a part of what God uh, is doing, even if she doesn't understand it. Uh, even if she can't control it, and even if it comes at great personal cost to her. She's told she'll bear a son, he will be great, he'll be the son of the Most High, and he'll receive the throne of David and reign forever. She'll give birth to the Messiah, Israel's long-awaited king. And she asks, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And unlike Zechariah, she is not seeking proof. She's not asking for a sign. Hers is a receptive faith, open to God. Her faith is seeking understanding. And Gabriel gives her light when he tells her that the Holy Spirit uh, will overshadow her. The creative power of God's going to come upon her. And though she asks for no sign, she's given one. She's told her relative, Elizabeth is pregnant, uh, six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God. For no promise of God uh, will fail. And Mary, in her responsive faith, offers herself. This is what the first Christmas is all about. The messianic age is dawning. Uh, the great king from God is come. All God's promises are going to come to pass. God is making the world aright. God's acting to make all things new. And in Christ, he's at work to deal with the root cause of all our disappointment. God is doing what is humanly impossible. Now, in this Advent, we not only remember the first Christmas, but we open our hearts to Christ to see below the surface of our desires the deep longings uh, that arise from the barrenness in all its forms that's in our world because it's fallen. Well, at Christmas, we begin uh, once again to anticipate uh, the transformation that Christ is uh, bringing. And we open our hearts by repenting. We celebrate because uh, Christ uh, has uh, come and he will return once again and finish all that he started. And we celebrate because as we wait, God is acting to make all things new. Healing has begun. There's substantial healing now. Now, God has come to you not as an angel, but in his son. 
Will you open your heart? Can you believe him when he says, I'm making all things new? That with God, all things are possible. That he can redeem and heal and answer the longings of your heart. If not, perhaps your view of Advent is, well, it's just too narrow. Advent is far more than the beautiful wreaths and, and ribbons and the, the lights and the candles and, and the gifts uh, that we receive, all the traditions we associate with this time of year. Now, Christianity is more uh, than uh, mere forgiveness. It is the power of a new uh, life. The reign of Jesus uh, has begun in his uh, birth. It was confirmed in his resurrection and ascension. He rules now and he will rule uh, forever. How will you respond to this good news? This table is for those whose hearts are soft, that are turning toward God, that recognize in their longings, in their disappointment, Uh, in their ache, that they want something that's impossible for them to bring about. Something that has only begun in Christ and can be found ultimately only in his unfolding plans and purposes. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, move us soften us, draw us to you, that no matter where we are spiritually, that Advent might be filled uh, with fresh meaning for us. Be pleased to open our eyes once again and move us past disillusionment and disappointment. For we pray in Christ's name.